All right. Let's get into what we're going to talk about today. If you've got a Bible, please go to Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2. This is a new sermon series we started a couple of weeks back. We are looking at the prophet uh, Isaiah. Sorry, Micah. Isaiah's in the notes for some other reason. We're looking at the prophet Micah, and we're getting into some prophetic literature. It's time as a church to do that. We haven't actually explicitly done it yet in our in our time together, so we're doing it. And even though these books were written a couple of thousand years ago, they have great relevance to us today, as, as does all of God's Word. But the prophetic literature can be a bit strange. It's got metaphor, it's got poetic language, it's got repetition, it's got all those things in there which can be a little bit hard to decipher sometimes when you're reading it, what's, what's the prophet talking about in that particular moment. And so we're going to be looking at Micah today. And Micah is a prophet who spoke the word of the Lord to God's people And he's speaking to the nation of Israel uh, at this time, and he is speaking to them after they've joined a period of prosperity, God's blessing, and they are living in the good of that, and they have this impressive spiritual heritage that God has given them, and it's going really well, but at the same time, there is spiritual complacency in the land. There is the oppression of the poor and vulnerable. There is the worship of idols other than the one God of Israel who had done everything for them. They had gone off after um, other gods. And this sounds very familiar to where we live and find ourselves today. And into that, the prophet speaks. Micah speaks and he talks about God's judgment because of how they've forsaken him, how they've given in to sin. And he also talks about the salvation that will come. And so the prophet Micah, very quick um, Recap on the context of it. Uh, I obviously, you can go back and review the, the first sermon, which goes into this more details. God's people have settled in the land that God has promised to them, and he has raised up leaders for their kings. They've had King uh, David, the great mighty king there, his son Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, and God has blessed them, and they have flourished in the land, and it has been wonderful. But after that, after Solomon, the kingdom split into the northern kingdom of Israel and to the southern kingdom of Judah. And what happened was a downward spiral of God's people um, into um, eventually uh, they were um, removed from the land as they were taken over and destroyed. And into this, the prophets speak, and Micah's ministry is aimed in the point where the kingdom has split before the northern kingdom of Israel has been destroyed. That gets destroyed in 722 BC. And Micah is preaching into that situation just before that, saying the judgment of God is coming on you because you have forsaken him, you've forsaken his covenant, you're worshipping idols, all the things he said would happen to you when he gave you the land are now happening and they are being worked out and there is spiritual complacency in the land, there is the going after idols and there is the oppression of the poor and the vulnerable. And the book of uh, Micah, as we've seen, it's seven chapters long but it's split into three parts really, three cycles, each one beginning with the word hear where the prophet says to the people, you are to hear the word of the Lord. One happens in uh, chapter 1 verse 2 and there's chapter 3 verse 1 and I think it's chapter 6 verse 1 each time and we have started the first cycle with chapter 1, we will finish the first cycle today with chapter 2 and God is calling through his prophet to the people, they are to hear the word of the Lord. 
And like when Jesus tells his parables that we saw in the Gospel of Mark, and he says, you are to hear what's being said. It's not just a, a sense of just sitting there and take it in, taking it in, like when you have the kids at home who are ignoring you everything, and then they say, are you listening to me? Yeah, I'm listening to you, but I'm over here doing something else. No, you need to hear Take on board what he's saying, and that needs to affect your life. And so the word of God is coming to the people of Israel, and he's saying you need to listen to the prophet, and it needs to have an outworking in your life. And the cycles that we find in Micah, we find the Lord pronouncing judgment on his people for their sin, but also pronouncing salvation that is to come, because he has not forsaken them as his people. And each cycle follows that kind of structure. So let's get into chapter two. Big idea for today is it's time for God's people to care for the vulnerable and to proclaim his truth. To care for the vulnerable and to proclaim his truth. Sorry, I'm struggling with my notes with only one hand. There you go. Right, first section of chapter one. Please find in your Bible Micah 2 and we will read along and then I'll explain kind of what's happening in here. Second half of the first cycle. So part one, we've got the abuse of power, verses one to five. Let me read it to you. It says this, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks. And you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord." So what's happening here is Micah is continuing. He's pronouncing chapter 1, judgment on the people and the coming of the Assyrians who will destroy the nation of Israel and they will invade the land. And we saw that last time with the listing of the places, the invasion will come in. Now he is focusing down on the reason behind that. Why has the Lord set himself against his people? Why is the judgment coming? And we find in the land there are those who are abusing their there are positions of power and influence and wealth and authority to oppress God's people. So there are those within the people of God who are using it to oppress them. And it begins with a condemnation, verses 1 to 2. It begins with a woe. And that's not a woe, that's a woe. That is a language um, that comes in funeral laments. It is a language mourning the dead. So as God speaks this to his people, it's almost like you're already dead. That's how bad it's coming. So when it starts like that, you intake breath. That it says, woe to those who devise wickedness. There are three activity words. It says devise, work, perform. There are people within the land who are doing things actively, willingly, willfully. And it says wickedness and evil. 
They are using positions to abuse power through illegal means, unethical activities. They are devising and working and performing vicious, evil things against their fellow Israelites, their fellow members of the covenant with God's people. And it says they're so bad, they do it as soon as they wake up in the morning. The alarm goes off, open their eyes, and suddenly they're planning. How can I use my position to gain more for me and stuff anyone else who gets in the way? That's what he's coming against. As soon as daylight comes, they're out. And the reason they can do it, it says, is because the power is in their hand. They have the authority, and so they can get away with it. They can do it. Who remembers Spider-Man? What happens in Spider-Man? He says, Uncle Ben says to Spider-Man when he's got these powers, with great power comes great responsibility. Not so here. With great power comes great opportunity. With power comes a way to manipulate, abuse, and steal and take from others. And that's what he's coming against. He's saying there's a condemnation. It says, what's they doing? It says they covet. They covet. They want something that does not belong to them. And it says they, no, three more words. It says they seize, they take, and they oppress. And so they use their position. They want something someone else has got. Violation of the 10th commandment. You shan't cover. They want it. They'll use their position because they have power and authority to take it from them. And the implication behind this is they're using unethical, illegal means, using extortion, threats, a way of using what they've got to take from others. And at the end there, it says that they're taking their inheritance. And this is huge for God's people, the way it was at the time. For us, we don't quite have it the same in this society. But the inheritance of the people of God was the land that God had given them. Go back to the Abraham, the promise given to Abraham, which was then worked out in Joshua when they took the land. We've looked at Joshua as a church. Then the land was then allotted to tribes and families and groups, and they were given a portion of the land that was theirs as an inheritance. And that land stayed with the family. Because the land represented wealth, it represented how you could earn money by growing crops, animals, those kind of things where you could build your homes. That was your land and it was passed down the generations. No one got to take that from you. And because it was God's land and God had given it to his people and it would be allotted to individuals, that was their land. You could not take it. There were commands against that in the law. And what has happened here is they are taking people's inheritance, which means they are taking their future. They aren't just robbing them in the moment of we'll take some money for him. They're actually robbing their future. And if we remember when we looked at Elijah, there was a story there of King Ahab, who was the, one of the kings of Israel that Micah's prophesying against, and he coveted a vineyard that belonged to Naboth. And Naboth, it said, was a righteous man. And the king came, the king, power, authority, said, I want that. And Naboth said, no, why? Because it's my inheritance. It's what the Lord has given us, and it gets passed down the family lines. What did Ahab do? Through a hissy fit, his wife comes along, manipulates the situation, has Naboth murdered, and they take what was there. So this is, that was a practical example of what Mike is talking about. And the judgment of God comes against the house of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Read about it there. It's horrific. But that's just an outworking of what he is talking about. And so then it comes judgment. So we had condemnation. Therefore, thus says the Lord, 
Behold, against this family, I'm devising disaster. They devised wickedness. Verse 1, he, the Lord says, I am devising disaster for you. He actually repeats disaster later in the verses. He says, you're not going to get away with this. I'm not going to remove the burden from your necks. You're not going to get a walk around, strut around proudly, like getting away with this, like, look at me, look what I've gained, or what I've consumed from others. You are not getting away. A time is coming when there will be disaster. And he's talking about the invasion that's coming. Assyria, this great nation, is going to come and wipe Israel off the face of the map. And there will be a yoke put on their necks. There will be disaster comes. He says, in that day, you're going to be taunted. You're going to moan. You're going to be utterly ruined. You're going to moan that what you've taken from others will then be taken to others. Apostate, pagans, those outside God's covenant people who worship false gods. You think you can get away with it? You can't. It's going to come against you. It will be due. They will end up ruined. What they have seized from others will be given to others, and there'll be no one left to speak for them. He said, there'll be no line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. And the lot was how they divided up the land. He said, that's all going to be gone. It's going to be taken from you. Your wicked schemes, your evil, your abuse of power will ultimately become to nothing under the invasion of Assyria. Then we move on to this next section, true and false. So let's pick it up at verse 6. It says this, Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for there is no place to rest. Because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go out and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. He should be a preacher of this people. What we have here is Micah coming against kind of the root behind what's happening. And what there is, is there are false prophets in the land who are proclaiming a false message to God's people. And Micah represents the true message, the true prophet of God, and he is coming against the false prophets who are preaching half-truths, which effectively lies to God's people. And so what we've got in verses 6 and 7 is a false message that's coming to God's people through these false prophets. And Micah even quotes them. And they're saying to Micah, stop preaching. Do not preach. They don't want to hear this message. He says, don't preach this message of judgment. Don't preach this message of God coming and saying, I don't like sin in my people and I will deal with it. Don't preach a message of invasion. Don't preach a message of the Lord coming down from his temple and standing on the mountain with power and authority. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear it. Do not preach these things. They're saying, disgrace is not going to overtake us. We're not going to be like that. We're going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. They're saying things like, the Lord is never going to grow impatient with us. The Lord is patient. We know that. We can look at the verses in our Old Testament. The Lord is patient with his people. And so they're preaching half-truths. They're saying things are, they're saying things about God that are true, but they're avoiding and they're missing out other things. They're just saying the palatable stuff. 
God is love. He loves you. He's patient. He's kind. And that's it. And, and, I, and Micah's coming on and saying, actually, there's more to God's word than that. You can't just preach that message. You can't preach that message to people who are willingly stealing and taking from others. You can't do that. You have to remind them that is wrong. That is a violation of the commandment. They need to repent. That is sinful. And so he comes along and preaches a true message. And he says that God's own people have risen up as an enemy. We saw that in the first um, chapter of the book. That actually God's own people would set themselves up as an enemy to God because they weren't living God's way and they weren't following God's will. And he gives examples. He says, you're stripping the rich robe from those who pass by. And this particularly goes against um, laws we find in Exodus where actually you aren't meant, aren't meant to take a man's robe as a guaranteed down payment. You're meant to return it to them, not just strip it. And this is, the picture is someone's walking past and they're literally, their clothes are being ripped off their back. They're being ripped off their back by these abusive, evil uh, people who have, res- who have a power and authority to do it. And it says, The woman of my people drive out, driven out from their delightful homes and their young children. The women and the children represent the, the most vulnerable in society. And he's saying those people are being exploited. The implication there of women is actually widows. So they don't have the man around for which the inheritance had come through. And there are specific laws throughout the Old Testament for the people of God to care for those. Read the book of Ruth. We've studied that where you see that being worked out. They are to care for those who are the most vulnerable in the, in the covenant people. They're to look after for them. And they are to make sure they're okay. And it's saying that they are being oppressed They are literally being driven out of their homes and left with nothing, left destitute. It is a hideous and evil situation. And it wasn't something that just happened then. If you go through it into Mark, we saw this in Mark's gospel. Jesus accused people of doing that even then, Mark chapter 12. It's not a new thing. And he keeps saying, these are my people and you are abusing them. And as a result, your splendor, the glory of God will be taken from you. And it says that they are to arise and go to no place of rest. This is all imagery for the coming invasion, the coming exile. They will be taken from the land and they will be taken to foreign nations. They will be given no rest. The consequences of sin is ultimately judgment. It will have to be paid for. And he's saying the nation, for what they have done, they will suffer, which is fulfillment that we find in the law in Leviticus. He says, actually, if you go into the land that I've given you and you don't act well in the land, you don't follow my laws, you don't live under my covenant, there will ultimately you will be expelled from the land. And it says in that final verse there, it says, if a man should go out and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. What's that about? Wine and strong drinks is celebration. It's the good stuff. If they keep preaching you just the good stuff, all it is is just wind and lies. It's just emptiness. They're preaching a message where everything's going to be okay. Isn't it good? Isn't it wonderful? God's going to love you, and it doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter how you act, because God is for you, and it's going to be all right. And Mike is saying, actually, they're, they're the only preachers these people need. They deserve him. Because just judgment is coming on all of them. Keeping a, preaching a message of just always goodness and everything's going to be fine with no effect on hearts, no call to action to live holy lives. Because God is holy, his law is holy, we are to be a holy people. It says ultimately it's going to come to nothing. And so the nation was plagued 
by false teachers who were proclaiming this message, who were missing out great chunks of God's word and only preaching what the people wanted to hear so they could basically carry on with their lives. And the result of that is coming impending destruction. The condemnation of God on his people and the consequences and the outworking of it. Thankfully, it doesn't stop there. There are two more verses in, in the chapter, because if it was just like, and amen, um, it's not great, is it? So let's just let's read the last two verses, which is a quite a sudden transition, but then the prophet says this from the Lord. It says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them. The Lord is at their head. So what we have here at the end of this first cycle is we have the pronouncement of judgment of God on his people for their sin, which they rightly deserve. But even in that, there is the mercy of God. There is the grace of God evidence. And he says he will save the remnant. He will bring them back to the land. And if we know the story of the people of God, you find that after the exile comes restoration as the people of God return uh, to the land and to Jerusalem. And the Lord is described in two ways in this uh, few verses. He's described, number one, as the good shepherd. He said, I will surely assemble you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. He says there's a noisy multitude, which kind of said there's a lot of them. But so God will bring them back. Judgment of sin is not the final word. Judgment of sin is not the final word. Israel will be taken into exile by Assyria in 722 and the southern kingdom of Judah later by Babylon in 586 BC. Yet God will still restore them to the land. He will not forget his people. He will still bring them in. He will still love them and care for them. He will still grow them to be a noisy multitude. He's also described as a mighty king, the one who is able. He says he's the one who opens the breach before them. The breach, like in a city wall, if you are attacking, it's like, well, you, we make a breach, you break the wall, and then you break in, and you can take the city. And it says he will break, and he will pass through the gate. The king passes on. The Lord is at the head. This is a Lord who is active. This is a Lord who is mighty. This is the Lord who is going to come and be with his people and save them and bring them out of slavery, and bring them out of the oppression of where they have been, bring them out of their guilt and shame for sin. And so as the, the cycle ends, this first cycle, if you just look ahead to verse 1 of chapter 3, which we'll pick up next week, it begins again here. So there's a new cycle starting then. Where Michael would have been preaching to the people. But as this first one finishes, it ends on a note of hope. It ends on a note of God's grace on his people. That sin and judgment is not the final word. Mercy is the final word and the grace of God is the final word. Okay, so what does this mean for us now? And there's two things I want us to look at is that we are to be, it is a time now to preach and it is a time to serve the vulnerable. The first thing, it is a time to preach. We live in a world that is full of messages. 
We have messages all the time. We are bombarded constantly with messages through adverts, through politics, through social media. Someone is trying to tell you something, make you believe something, follow a narrative. If you look at the statistics, they are terrifying of how many, how many you see a day or how many you hear a day of these messages that come at you. You must need this. You must do this. And Micah found himself in that same situation where he'd been called by God to preach the truth in a whole environment of false messages. There were false prophets everywhere, and he was the one God had raised up to speak into it. And these messages tell you things like where you get your value, where you get your identity. It's in how much you earn, what you own, what school your children go to, or how well they do, how many likes or followers you have, how much you succeed in very much earthly and worldly things. Salvation comes through recycling. It comes through using the correct pronouns. It comes through choosing the right political party and being on the right side of history, whatever that means. These are all false narratives and half-truths. And these can come into the church as well. We are not immune. Even in the church of Jesus Christ, there are false messages that as long as you just come to church a bit, a few times a year, you'll be okay. You were born in a Christian country, whatever that means. You're going to be okay. God loves you and blesses you, but he doesn't care how you live. That's your concern. That's your private life. As long as you look good on a Sunday and here, you're fine. God doesn't mind what you do with your money. God doesn't mind what you teach your children. And they're all false narratives and half-truths. And as the people of God, we are to proclaim the truth. And we are to proclaim it faithfully and continually in the face of a culture that is preaching a false narrative to us. We're to proclaim the big story. The big story of God's plan for the heavens and the earth, for creation. That begins creation. God made everything. Everything we can see on a telescope that looks into the the heavens and looks for light years, he made all of that. And we also, he made everything when you look through a microscope to the tiniest atomic level of every living thing. He made all of that and everything in between. God made it. It's his. He is in charge of it. But then we have the fall where sin came into the world, where man rebelled. They were given positions of authority. And they rebelled. They chose to be in charge and not God. And at that point, everything went wrong. Everything broke. Man's relationship with creation broke. Man's relationship with one another broke. Man's relationship with women broke. Man's relationship with their kids broke. Everything broke. Government broke. Everything. Technology broke. It's all falling apart. But then God says, I'm not going to leave it that way. I will restore it. And he set about on a mission to restore the created order, starting with mankind, that he would come, he would send a saviour that deal with the problem of sin, restore us to relationship with God, there'll be reconciliation between man and God, and we know where that's all culminated in, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he come, died on that cross, and then we look forward to consummation, where everything in creation will be made new, everything will be made new. The heavens and the earth. You go to the end of the book, Revelation 21, 22. When you're feeling a bit lost and down, that's a good place to go. How does it end? It ends with the lamb on the throne. 
in the new heavens and the earth and the people of God around him in the new Jerusalem worshipping. And we are to proclaim that message. This world is not all there is. There's more to it. And try as we might to make heaven on earth, it's not going to work like that because it's broken and it will need to be replaced and renewed. And one day heaven will come down to earth and everything will be changed. But in the meantime, we're not trying to live for here. We're trying to live for there. And we also tell the small story. That's the big story of the creation. We have to proclaim the small story. And the fact is that God made you. God created you. And he created you in his image to be known by him. But we rebelled against that. All of us, we have rebelled against God. We have lived sinful lives, which means we have fallen short of his standards. We've gone after our own ways, lived our own lives. It's my body, my choice. I do it. My, I am my own. No, you're not. You belong to him. And Christ came to repair the damage, died on the cross in our place for our sin, rose bodily from death, ascended into heaven, sent the Spirit on us. And so we now need to make a response to that. And the onus on us as individuals is to make a response to God, to have a restored relation to him. And we as the people of God are to proclaim that message boldly. Christ died, risen, ascended, returning. Paul said, the only thing I've come to you to proclaim is Christ and him crucified. That's our message. It's all about Jesus. And we are to preach that faithfully in the face of contradictory messages, in competing messages, because the world is shouting loud. And it will not stop. It will keep going. And we are to do it. And we are to, whatever platform you find yourself in, they will all vary depending on who you are and where you find your life. And they will change as you go through life, as things come up and not whatever it is. We are to be men and women who proclaim that messages in our schools, in our classrooms, amongst our peer groups, in our homes, with our kids, in our workplaces, in our social settings, even in the church context, whatever you find yourself, if you're leading kids' work, youth work, in life groups, running the Alpha course, giving people opportunities, that we are to faithfully proclaim this message. It is time to preach the word of God to this nation because it's what they need to hear. And we need to preach it loudly and we need to preach it continually. And yes, we need to use wisdom and grace and winsomeness in that. But that is what we are to do. And it's what Micah was called to do into that situation, to proclaim the message of God. There is a God who loves you, and he is gracious, and he is kind, but he also has come to judge sin. And you need to get that dealt with. And we can't half-truth it. We have to speak it plainly and boldly. And the second thing we have to do is we have to serve the vulnerable. We have to serve the poor, we have to serve the marginalized. We have to serve those who cannot speak for themselves. And if we just preach and don't act, we're hypocrites. If we just act and do things and we don't preach, then we're just, we're just empty and meaningless. It doesn't, doesn't result in transformed lives, which is what we ultimately want. So we need to do both. We need to proclaim God's message, but we also need to serve and act and do things. And what we find here in this message is in this passage, sorry, in Micah 2, is we find horrifically hard language that the Lord speaks to those who oppress and ignore and take advantage of the vulnerable. 
who use the power that they have, the authority. We're not specific. We don't exactly know how they did it, but they obviously had some level of power authority, whether it was financial or legal or in the whatever power structure, governmental. There was some kind of authority they were using to make uh, to attack the weakest and the most vulnerable. And it is a provocation of us as we live that we are to be men and women who look out to serve the vulnerable to speak up for the vulnerable, to stand alongside the vulnerable, whatever they may be. And we are to use whatever influence we have. Many of us sit in positions of power and authority and influence, whether it's in your home, in your social group, in your workplace. You might have responsibility for budgets and people. And we are to, in that, do what we can to serve the vulnerable. Even if it's just in social settings, even in school classrooms, everyone knows who the weakest and most vulnerable kid is. They're the one who gets bullied. And it's just, everyone knows. Are we standing up for them? Are we talking for them? What about in workplaces? When you have responsibility for direction of companies and systems that you're doing, are you making sure that, that we are serving the vulnerable in those places? Are you speaking up for them? So what does it look like where you find yourself? What does it look like where, do you, where you stand? Where do you need to look to serve those who are weak and vulnerable? As a church, we're, we've got a food bank, which we are going to, going to kind of relaunch, get, put it back in front of you, that actually we use that as one way and we give to many things. But actually, what about you as an individual? Where do you stand on that? What do you need to do to serve the vulnerable? Because the Lord is really concerned about this. How do we do that? And then I'll finish with this. Maybe the band want to come up. I'll finish with this, and we're going to worship, and we're going to pray. What's our, kind of, what's our focus as we sort of land this, move on? Well, there's only one place. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus was the one who came, and if we've, we've just studied the whole gospel of Mark, what did Jesus do? He came teaching, and his first line, first thing of, in, God's, in Mark's gospel that Jesus said, the first bit in red is, repent, kingdom of God is at hand. So he's calling repentance, he's dealing with sin, and he's talking about the kingdom of God, which is coming. We know the kingdom of God is where his power breaks out, lives are transformed, prisoners are set free, the lame walk, all that stuff happens, and we are to look to him. And we don't do this in our own strength, it's not like we have to transform the world. No, that's his job. We are just to follow him. And we're to be men and women full of the spirit, real life school tonight. You're welcome. Be phenomenal and full of the Spirit. And as we are men and women full of the Spirit, then we will live like Jesus. And we'll be one to proclaim his truth faithfully. We will confront oppression when we find it in the context where we will speak out and speak up on behalf of those who are vulnerable. We will work in the little world we walk in. We will act in a way that promotes righteousness and justice and goodness by the grace of God. And we will say, we will not pussyfoot around on the message of Jesus. Repentance is vital. But we also want to live that out and loving and caring for those around us. Amen.
Amen. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray and then we're going to look to Jesus. I'm just going to pray. Maybe you want to open your hands and put your eyes on him. What I feel like I want to pray, I'm just reminded of Luke chapter 4, where Jesus' first public sermon in the synagogue was where he read from the prophet Isaiah. So I knew I'd get back to Isaiah eventually. And he read, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news, to proclaim liberty, to set free all that. And I want to pray for us now that we'd be men and women full of the Spirit, that by His grace we would see that. Because we've been commissioned by Him, filled with His Spirit, to continue His mission on this earth until He returns. And He isn't back yet. So we need to keep going. And we need to keep doing all that we do. And I want to pray that the Spirit fill us to commission us. But I also feel that the the Lord will drop in things to you now of how you can practically outwork this. And it might be just someone's name you need to befriend or check in on or something. It might be something more. But I'm just going to pray for us that that would happen. Sovereign Lord, we ask, we thank you that you are Lord. We thank you that your heart is grace and mercy towards your people. We thank you, God, that you cannot tolerate sin, but you dealt with it on the cross. And that we've been set free from its power for those who follow you. Lord God, and I pray now you would fill us with your spirit, that we'd be men and women full of the spirit, lifted up. And I pray that we would be empowered for service, to proclaim faithfully your word wherever we find ourselves, with grace, with winsomeness, with courage with integrity Lord God but I pray you'd give us eyes to see where we can help others where we can serve others where we can speak out in terms of justice and righteousness where we serve the poor and the marginalized and the broken and the foreigner and the alien and the widow and the orphan the most vulnerable in our society whether that's socially or economically or legally whatever it is God make us men and women who remember that for your glory And God's people said, Amen.